It's Friday, March 1st. I'm Juanita Tolliver. And I'm Priyanka Arabindi, and this is What a Day, where we are encouraging all of our listeners to join the internet search for Kate Middleton. Yeah, the official line is that she's recovering from a surgery, but she hasn't been seen since Christmas Day, and the internet is worried. Juanita, what is your working theory? You know I've been working really hard to mind my business, so no comment. <laughs> Juanita's being a good influence on us all. On today's show, Congress reached a deal to avoid a shutdown, but only by one week. Plus, wildfires ripping through Texas have torched over one million acres so far. But first, more than 100 people were killed and hundreds more wounded yesterday near Gaza City as Palestinians were gathered around trucks to receive much-needed food and aid. This loss of life also comes as the Gazan Health Ministry announced that the death toll in Gaza has reached more than 30,000 people. I mean, just staggering figures Mm -hmm. in every part of that What do we know about what happened here as people were gathering to receive this aid? There are competing stories about exactly what happened at the aid trucks. The Israeli military claimed that civilians surrounded an aid truck and caused pushing and trampling and people being run over by trucks, but they denied shooting into the large crowd. According to Reuters, one Israeli official said there had been two separate incidents. In the first, dozens were killed or injured as they tried to take aid from the trucks and were trampled or run over. He said there was a second subsequent incident as the trucks moved off and as people in the crowd approached troops, Israeli soldiers opened fire in a, quote, limited response. However, in a statement, Hamas said the Gazan Health Ministry had presented, quote, undeniable evidence of direct firing at citizens, including headshots aimed at immediate killing. In addition to the testimonies of all witnesses who confirmed being targeted with direct fire without posing any threat to the occupying army. So there are a lot of details that still need to be confirmed. But in the moments after the deadly confrontation, Gazans attempted to seek care at the Al-Shifa hospital. But given the bombardment, there were limited resources and healthcare workers available to help the hundreds of people who had been injured. What has been the response to this latest tragedy? Well, according to The Guardian, the United Nations Security Council called an emergency session on Thursday night. And CNN reports that the United Arab Emirates has called for a transparent investigation. A White House national security spokesperson wrote in a statement, quote, we mourn the loss of innocent life and recognize the dire humanitarian situation in Gaza, where innocent Palestinians are just trying to feed their families. A U.S. official also told NBC News that the Biden administration is considering airdropping aid into Gaza, given the dire need for humanitarian assistance and the slower pace of land deliveries. Of course, this deadly confrontation will have an impact on the ongoing ceasefire negotiations. President Biden spoke to reporters from the White House before boarding a helicopter yesterday. Here's what he had to say when asked if he still expects a ceasefire by Monday. Take a close listen. Hope brings eternal. I was on the telephone with the people in the region. I'm still probably not by Monday, but I'm hopeful. Then he was asked about yesterday's deaths at the aid truck and if it'll complicate negotiations. We're checking that out right now. There's two competing versions of what happened. I don't have an answer yet. Are you worried that it'll complicate these negotiations? I know it will. He said, I know it will. Right. Biden still sounds hopeful, has sounded hopeful throughout this process. And I know so many people are really, really wanting to see this, but It's very different from what the other negotiating parties have been communicating. Can you tell us more about what they've been saying? 
According to Axios, a Hamas spokesperson told the mediators in the hostage talks that, quote, the negotiations are not open-ended and we won't allow it to be used as cover for crimes against the Palestinians in Gaza. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke at a press conference yesterday but did not address the deadly confrontation at the aid convoy. He said negotiations, quote, have hit a brick wall because Hamas isn't even trying to reach a zone of agreement. Of course, we will keep you posted on all of this as the negotiations continue and we learn more about this deadly situation. Thank you so much for that update, Juanita. Now we're going to switch gears to another story that we've been following. Yesterday, Alabama's State House and Senate voted to protect in vitro fertilization or IVF. This is following the state's Supreme Court ruling earlier this month that categorized frozen embryos as children and said that anyone who destroys them can be held liable for wrongful death. In the wake of that ruling, IVF providers all around the state stopped offering treatments because of the potential for both providers and for the patients to be prosecuted simply for following the normal procedures of IVF. Mm. The bills that Alabama's Republican-controlled legislature passed yesterday aim to protect IVF providers from these lawsuits and from criminal prosecutions in hopes of prompting them to resume offering the treatment in the state. Is it as promising as it sounds? Like, tell us more about what's in these bills and how this happened. This issue has been alarming and incredibly animating for people in Alabama and all over the country. Patients, doctors, and advocates gathered in front of the Alabama State House on Wednesday to rally and to urge lawmakers to get these clinics and these treatments restored. The State House ended up passing their bill 94 to 6, and the Senate passed their version 34 to 0. This, of course, is in Alabama, where Republicans hold the majority in both chambers. The House bill says that the immunity that they are proposing for IVF clinics is intended to apply retroactively, and debate was opened in the chamber yesterday by saying very explicitly that the bill was for the purpose of getting IVF procedures up and running in the state once again. House Representative Terry Collins of Decatur, who introduced this bill along with one of her colleagues, said that the bill isn't a long-term solution. They expect to start work on something more long-term in the next few weeks, hopefully to be passed in the next year. So to answer your question, Juanita, this is a Band-Aid yes. for now. Remains to be seen what will happen. But meanwhile, it's also very important to note that Alabama passed one of the country's most restrictive abortion laws back in 2019, and it went into effect with the fall of Roe in 2022. Abortion in the state is completely illegal with extremely, extremely limited exceptions. So, you know, before we try to applaud these lawmakers for stepping up to protect IVF, let's just keep that in mind. Right, because the true intentions are from their previous behavior, even before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So, yeah. Absolutely. Put this new bill into context for us with the national picture as well. The court's decision sent alarm bells ringing all across the country, and that in part is because IVF has already helped hundreds of thousands of American families have kids. And we touched on this in yesterday's show, but Republican lawmakers have been mixed in their reactions since Alabama's decision. Many of them scrambled in the wake of that to speak out and to defend IVF. Many of those were the same people who cheered the fall of Roe, which paved the way for this to happen. So quite hypocritical. But as we reported in Thursday's episode, when presented in the Senate with a bill by Democrats that would have established federal protections for IVF, Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi shot the whole thing down, saying that it violated religious freedoms and overshot the goal. And then what about Donald? I killed Roe v. Wade all by myself, Trump. Yeah, Trump actually came out in support of IVF. He called on lawmakers in Alabama to take action. So Republicans in disarray here, they are very split. But you know who is not divided on whether American families should have a full slate of rights to fertility treatments, abortions, birth control, all of it. 
You guessed it. Democrats. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) This issue has further highlighted the vast divide between where they stand versus where Republicans are on an issue that has time and time again animated voters as they have gone to the polls, especially in recent years. Earlier this week, an Axios-Ipsos poll found that Americans as a whole opposed the decision in Alabama two to one, and an economist YouGov poll found that Americans said that embryos are not kids by a 50% to 21% margin. So consider this your weekly reminder that abortion rights are winning political issues for Democrats. And these numbers fully align with what we know for national support when it comes to abortion rights in general. So Republicans are clearly going to ignore the people, but there's work to do. Yeah, we, of course, will continue to follow this story and related ones on the show. But if you want to help the cause of reproductive rights and protections for all, then be a part of Vote Save America's Fuck Bans Action Plan. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbans for more information. That is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. The government shutdown that was set for tonight won't happen, at least not for another week. You know, it's our edition of Kick the Can, courtesy Republicans. Truly. A temporary extension of government funding was approved by Congress yesterday. Getting further into the specifics of the measure, which was drafted by House Speaker Mike Johnson, it funds half the government until March 8th and the other half through March 22nd. The bottom line is Congress will go through this same song and dance all over again next week with Republicans holding the government hostage unless they get cuts and support for their policy priorities. And if you've been following along at home, you'll know four continuing resolutions have now made their way through Congress since September, including the one from yesterday. Please, let's do something straightforward and let's not revisit this issue every few weeks. Would love that. Let's turn to a major issue on people's minds right now, immigration. As we previewed for you on Wednesday's show, Biden and Trump held dueling press conferences on the southern border yesterday in Texas to both campaign for their advantage on the issue. While they were there, a federal court blocked a Texas law that would have allowed local police to arrest and kick migrants out of the country. SB4 was supposed to go into effect next week. We talked to the group that successfully filed to halt the law, Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center. Jennifer Babayi is the Director of Advocacy and Legal Services. It was a level of excitement and appreciation that the district court agreed with us that the law on its face is unconstitutional. However, the fight is not over. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says that the state will immediately appeal the decision. Here's Babayi again. So it's not a win yet, but it's a level of appreciation that we've stalled the law even a few days. I mean, we'll take what we can get knowing the inhumane efforts that Governor Abbott is putting in. So definitely staying with Texas. The state is currently battling the largest wildfire in its history. The Smokehouse Creek Fire has covered over one million acres, making it bigger than the entire state of Rhode Island. And there are at least two other large wildfires ripping across the state's panhandle. Folks have been evacuated from their homes and Governor Abbott has issued disaster declarations for 60 counties. The full extent of the damage isn't clear yet, but as of our recording time last night at 9 p.m. Eastern, the wildfires had caused two confirmed deaths. Officials haven't yet announced what sparked the blazes, but they have blamed wind, high temperatures, and low humidity levels for the fast-spreading fires. I mean, seems like the key ingredients associated with climate change. And there's no shortage of climate change deniers in Texas who better actually change their tune. 
Seriously. Earlier this week at a meeting with several other NATO countries, French President Emmanuel Macron commented that sending troops into Ukraine was possible. Almost immediately afterwards, other NATO countries, including the U.S. and Germany, denied that that is on the table, but it still earned a stark warning yesterday from Russian President Vladimir Putin. He threatened tragic consequences for countries that send military enforcements and said that Russia has nuclear weapons that can hit the West. The New York Times translated, quote, all this truly threatens a conflict with the use of nuclear weapons and therefore the destruction of civilization. And a reminder that we are also in the run-up to the Russian elections, which will take place from March 15th to the 17th. No one's really holding their breath here. Right. Putin will obviously stay in power, but thought we'd let you know that that is on the calendar. And wrapping up with some lighter news, Wendy's has rushed to pour a cold frosty on reports that the company would introduce surge pricing. Wendy's fans lost their minds when the company CEO described menu changes on an earnings call earlier this month that seemed to suggest burgers would cost more when they were in higher demand. Even Senator Elizabeth Warren denounced the new program as, quote, price gouging in a post on Twitter. But in a statement posted to his website this week, Wendy's clarified that customers can expect discounts when demand is lower, but the company will not raise prices when lots of customers are visiting. My advice? If you want a Wendy's item you know will be safe from peaks and valleys in demand, go with the eternal underdog, the baked potato. I feel like this shouldn't even be an underdog, though. When you put on that Wendy's chili on top of the sour creams and chives that come with the baked potato. I mean, it sounds amazing. It can Would I eat spot. that right now? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> the baked potato, though, never an underdog for me. The Sprinkle baked potato a little cheese is number one on top. in my heart. <laughs> And those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads to talk about developments from our favorite reality show, Love is Blind. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. It's Friday Wad Squad, and we'll wrap up the week with another installment for me and Priyanka to dish yet again on the latest reality show news. It's time for Reality Check. Our favorite. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) The joy. We were meant for that audio. The joy. Today, we'll talk about a show folks love to hate, Love is Blind. On Valentine's Day, Netflix began releasing episodes for season six, and this season has been chock full of trauma and chaos. Whether it's dishonesty about looks, which no one should have been asking about in the pods anyway. No. (laughs) Or dishonesty about why someone came home at five o'clock in the morning. This season is an entire hot mess, and we love it. We love every bit of it. Truly, (laughs) top to bottom, it is wild. I know there have been some less interesting seasons of the show. There have been so many seasons of it, 
But let me tell you, this really is one to watch. (laughs) To celebrate the latest episode drop, P and I are going to highlight the cast members who have been the most frustrating for us to watch. Also, if you're not caught up yet, this is your cue to tune out. Now that the disclaimer is done, Priyanka, kick us off. Who has been most frustrating for you to watch this season on Love is Blind? Juanita, I think we agree on who was the most frustrating, but let's just get started (laughs) with a few minor frustrations before we get into the big one. So first, there is Clay. Clay, who every chance he gets, not once, not twice, like at least seven times, has expressed his fear about cheating on his fiance to his fiance, which I'm sorry. I don't know. I've never been in that position with someone (laughs) telling me that, but that's just red flag central. Here's the thing, though, with Clay, though. His dad literally took him on cheating trips that his mother still doesn't know about, but I'm sure she knows about them now. I guess on TV now. It's like you're... You're not even going to tell her about it, but you're going to tell all of us? Okay. Mess. There's um, Sarah Ann, Jeremy, and Laura, who, like, Ugh. that really was the craziest storyline we've gotten on this entire show. Yeah. But finally, I will let you do the honors on Little Miss Chelsea here. Little Miss Megan Fox. Miss Not <laughs> Fox. Okay. Wow. <sighs> because this is just a whole... A whole crazy situation. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Darling, darling, you say you've been in therapy since filming, but nothing in this world can erase your whiny cry voice that you just break out without any notice every time Jimmy says anything to you. I cannot stand it. It's wild. I'm not even sympathetic to Jimmy and I'm like becoming sympathetic to him because she just... 100% sympathetic to Jimmy. You know why? Because... Whatever trauma Chelsea endured in her past before the show and her relationship with Jimmy, she is inflicting that same trauma on Jimmy. Like everything is emotionally abusive to her. Yeah. She gets drunk, tells him you don't love me, exposes his business that he told her off camera, on camera. (laughs) It's bad. And just is on a fishing expedition for anything she can grasp onto. And when they do make up, when he says, I'm exhausted because I thought you really thought I didn't love you, she says, can you make me some cookies? mind blowing to me. I mean, I hope you all are watching this at home. If we spoiled all of this for you, you should go back and watch it. I promise there is more. Yes. Oh, God. There's so much. Well, I think we've checked everybody's reality right now. So... (laughs) We hope you have thoughts too because we want to know. Tell us on Discord. And if you're not already there, then sign up by going to cricket.com slash friends. One more thing before we go. With Super Tuesday right around the corner, this may be Nikki Haley's last chance for a shot at the White House. Can she defy all odds, casino bets, and Ouija board predictions? We think not, but uh, go off, Queen. Uh, find out by heading to the Pod Save America feed for a deeper analysis on the results and make sure to subscribe on Amazon Music so you never miss an episode. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, fund the government, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are into reading and not just steady baked potato prices like me, <laughs> what today is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. I'm Juanita Tolliver. And And see see you you at at the the Love is Blind Blind reunion. How do we get there? We need to be in that audience. Here's the thing. I don't need to be in the audience, but I need to write the questions because I know Vanessa and Nick are very, very terrible interviewers. (laughs) Get us in there. Get us in there. We can do the prep for you. Promise. We'll hold their feet to the fire. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our associate producers are Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf. We had production help today from John Milstein, Greg Walters, and Julia Clare. 
Our showrunner is Leo Duran, and our executive producer is Adrian Hill. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka.